0: I got a tune this kazoo. Sweetest music this side of Dante's inferno. Coming your way
1: coast to coast.
0: There's no question about it that all of us are being burned up with those strange, divergent emotions. Both applauding the new year and weeping the old year as it quietly disappears. And the new one begins to... It'll take me well into July to stop writing 1965 on my checks. Well into July. <laughs> you know, I've often wondered, seriously, uh, at what point, at what point does, uh, well, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's something that, that I've often wondered about. I've had a feeling that if you wake up some old codgers at 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, you wake them up, you see, you come in, and this is the old guy laying there, and he's asleep in his sack, his monastic pallet, and he's got gray hair, and he's got grizzled brow. And you come in there and you wake up, hey, hey Ebenezer, hey, wait, Ed, come on, Ebenezer, wake up there, Ebenezer, hey, well, what's going on here, come on, Ebenezer, what year is it, ah, oh, 1907, now. <laughs> I I really do, I believe that, that some people uh, at, at a certain point in their life, uh, they, they all years that come on are not official years, they're phony years. And they're not real years. And uh, each year that comes, as they go quicker and quicker and faster and, and more swirling into that great, fantastic abyss of time, each one of these new years is looked upon as one of these, Oh, is it there Johnny Come Lately? Jim Crack Year? Why, who, what, what kind of a year is 1966? It's ridiculous. It doesn't even sound right. Now, let me tell you, 1933, now there's a year, that sounds like a year, 1933. You know, I once talked to, in fact, I uh, I talked to a guy who told me a wild story about the greatest, most fantastic new year that he ever was involved in. And uh, it, it was the kind of new year that comes once every 100 years. It was the turn of the century. And I imagine there are some guys listening right now tonight who remember the turn of the century, who remember when they first wrote 1900 oh, oh, instead of 1899, nine. and there was a tremendous, uh, there was a great national wild scene that occurred. In fact, it occurred all over the world. You know, uh, that at the year when the year 1900 came in. Many prophets had, uh, had said, and that was with a PH there. Many prophets had said, And I see the end of the century will also mean the end of the world as we know it. And thousands of people really sat in their homes, hanging on to the furniture, waiting for the end of the world to come just as it struck midnight. Now, on the other hand, there was a great group of people who felt when the new century came in, that it would usher in a fantastic, new, indescribably wonderful life. It would just be, you know, just would go on and on, and just never, never stop. Because naturally, they they had no concept that that the that the 20th century. And I suspect that ultimately, the 20th century will go down in history as the century of the great wars. I think that by the time the 20th century is over, more people will have died. In, in battle will have died as the result of wars, one way or another, one kind or another, than all the centuries combined. As a matter of fact, I think somewhere along the line, I read a, I read a, a statistic. Now, I can be very wrong on this. I can be co- definitely corrected. But I, somewhere, I gained the impression that I heard that uh, uh, as of uh, about 1960 already, more people had died. ...from wars in the 20th century than all the period of all the history preceding uh, our time. And uh, I have a feeling that this century will go down as the century of the fantastic great wars. And so these guys living at the year 2000 or the year 1900... uh, ...there were two groups of people. One of them said that the world is ending. This is going to be it. And the other group said that the world is going to be fantastic... It's going to be the greatest world that man has ever seen. <laughs> and, and I suppose a lot of people still think that the 20th century is the greatest uh, century that man has ever known. Of course, that that's, uh, that's could be called century ego or time ego. Uh, I suspect that any century that any guy is alive in, he believes that it's the greatest century that man has ever known. He has to, you know, <laughs> you know. in one way. On the other hand, you're, you're, you're torn by this, uh, this conflicting emotion that says, oh, boy, what a rotten time. Wow. I, I, that's why I, I suspect that we read the historical novels and see historical movies and historical plays the men of, of past time always seem to have more passion than the men of now you know it's the Tom Jones syndrome that uh, somehow the guys of that time uh, ate more they lusted more and they swung with chicks more and they hollered more and they holler when they drink the when they drink the ale I'm evil being more. Wow. Well, uh, I don't know. I suspect it be just us looking back on that time. I'm sure a guy of that period uh, looking around, he figured, ah, it's not like the old days. Boy, the 13th century—that one really went. And so, <laughs> so who knows, you know? But uh, but the literature on New Year's and the and the New Year coming in is uh, is uh, is, a, is a fascinating thing to to, to run into and to, to be part of to read because we're all part of time that 's the one thing that that all men have in common, of course this is the greatest of all cliches but it's often it 's often such a great cliche that you forget about it. You know we talk about the today uh, you hear it more and more uh, said that the that the world belongs to youth or that that uh, that, that the young today are it 's as though they 're a special breed you see it 's as though they have a uh, some kind of, they 're like uh, Tasmanians or something, you know, it's a special nationality or something, youth. Well, this is one of the great illusions. And as a matter of, of course, it's a fact that the one thing that none of us can ever escape is that fantastic ocean of time. Mm -hmm. Uh, A friend of mine, a cartoonist, Robert uh, Osborne, used to write me letters all the time. And underneath every letter, he'd write these wild letters. And under the letter, he would always write, uh, beware of the great thief. And he was talking about time, the great thief. And he would always write it on every letter. He didn't write the sincerely, Charlie. He didn't write, the, uh, have a good day, uh, Bob. He just wrote, beware of the great thief. And you get one of his letters and, wow. And, and uh, this, uh, I should tell you the story about my friend who saw the year come in. He was living in Philadelphia. I mean, the year, the, the, year, two, the year 1900, he saw it come in. And uh, he was living in Philadelphia, and he was in his 20s at the time, and uh, he heard all this, this fantastic crosstalk going on that the war, the world was going to end, and the world was going to be great. then everybody was, there was a tremendous amount of editorializing about this, you know, a new century. And not every generation experiences a new century as a matter of fact. And so the day that it came was a, he said he remembers that it was a kind of a gray cold dreary day and it was raining a little bit and it was it was 1899 it was the last day of the ancient century it was the century of Napoleon it was the century of uh, of a lot of fantastic things that had happened the century of the civil war Abraham Lincoln it was the century that uh, that saw uh, Queen Victoria. It was the century of all the all the uh, the fantastic characters of the of the of the 19th century world, and uh, there were editorials, people writing about it for months beforehand, and there was fear. Uh, there were there were uh, all the churches were open that night, and there were great uh, sermons being preached. People walking around the streets, clinging to one another. There was fear and all that, and then suddenly it was. He says he'll never forget. It was midnight. And everyone sat there for a minute. And they were still there, you know. Aunt Minnie was still sitting in the corner in her bad leg. And uh, Uncle Fred was still sitting over there chewing his tobacco and spitting on the floor. And it was suddenly the 20th century instead of the 9th. It was the 20th century. They sat there for a couple of minutes. And then he says you could hear the church bells ringing out all over the city. Everybody yelling and hollering. They poured out into the streets. And he said it was probably the biggest mass riot uh, uh, that, that, the, uh, that the country had ever seen. It was just wild, insane sights on the, on the year uh, 1900 when it came in. And he said he will always remember that because of the great fear that it was going to be the last day. Everyone, a lot of people thought that this was the end of it. It had been building up. And I, I'm sure that there are a lot of guys listening tonight who will see the year 2000 come in. Uh, the year tooth it, 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 it can you imagine how how wild it must be to write two thousand on your checks? Uh, there's a lot of guys still alive still listening probably uh, tonight who saw nineteen hundred come in and these two groups of people are still walking around uh, they're, they're still talking. well no wonder no wonder there's so many superstitions about new year's uh, does, does is this a thing that happens in the, in the, uh, in the east at all? Have you ever heard of the pickled herring? Superstition in the East? Did they? Did you ever hear that one? Uh, I think that's a, a superstition, not a superstition, a custom, really. I should say, it's a custom that came out of out of uh, middle Europa, and uh, and I remember as a kid, my grandmother was sitting around. She's she's passing out the little thimblefuls of bad wine. The only time she would let anybody drink wine in her house was on New Year's, and it was a New Year's night, and 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 in about ten minutes, it would be it would be the New Year. And the radio was playing. They always had the radio on. Somehow, the radio played an important part when I was a kid in New Year's. And whoopee parties. My My mother and father, all I remember is one succession of New Year's after another with a babysitter. Or with my grandmother. (laughs) All the cousins would be at the grandmother's house. And and, uh, all the aunts and uncles and the whole crowd would be off somewhere uh, having this big whoopee party for New Year's. And quite often it was a costume party. I remember my mother would always dress like a clown. Uh, You don't see that. But uh, my grandmother, with all the kids sitting around, she would say, well, it's time for New Year's now. And uh, it's ten minutes to... To midnight, and she would give us this little tiny thimbleful of wine, and she would come out with this plate of pickled herring, and we were all supposed to be eating pickled herring or something, eating it, I guess, eating pickled herring when the New Year came in, and that meant good luck to everybody. That if you ate pickled herring on New Year's, it was going to be nothing but, uh, you know, uh, peaches and cream for the next year. Uh, that's what they believed, and so so New Year's, New Year's had all kinds, of, and it, it's always been that way. And uh, would you like to hear some New Year literature I mean some guys that are really written about it this is here, let's, let's get this one out here how about how about Robert Service? his great poem New Year's Eve before we go into this uh, let's uh, let's uh, give the the last one for the year this is WOR, AM and FM New York hit the little button there get that whoopy stuff going then
1: Whippy face. This is only a in, in New York. Miller, Miller No substitute. The champagne of bottled beer. There's only one champagne of bottled beer. Sparkling, flavorful, distinctive. Miller Highlight. in Milwaukee, from a century-old recipe, Miller High Life has a rich heritage and tradition. A bright, clear taste. Unequal. Unquestioned. Unchanging. Available on tap, in cans, and in the familiar crystal-clear bottle. Miller High Life is always sparkling, flavorful, distinctive. Enjoy Miller High Life yourself. Miller High Life, the champagne of bottled beer. Yes, Miller High Life, the champagne of bottled
0: beer. Yeah, I'm going to leave my... uh, I'm going to leave my... uh, I'm going to leave my... uh, My resolutions for the next show. Yeah, I've got a whole set of them. I've been compiling them now for the last six or seven weeks, very seriously. And just to give you a little clue... Uh, in the coming year, I'm not going to be a smart guy. I'm going to be very... I'm going to give the time a lot. The next year, I'm going to give the time. I'm going to play a lot of good music and be very nice. And uh, before we go into that, we'll have to do a commercial. I'm going to practice doing them very seriously. You know, I have a trouble with that. Funny what comes in my eye when I give a commercial. But we have with us tonight Rover. And I hope that you will drive throughout the next year in a brand new Rover 2000. Uh, if, if nothing else, it'll mean that you'll be driving one of the great cars of the world, and also you will be driving one of the safest automobiles in the world. If you'd like to try to get through 1966, or whatever the heck year it is, uh, if you'd like to get through 1966 and still, uh, still have a, a whole pelvis, I would like to suggest you investigate the Rover 2000. Uh, considered one of the safest automobiles ever built and one of the most beautiful and one of the best-designed cars to come out uh, and off the drawing boards in many, many a years. It's a beautiful car. It's the Rover 2000. And if you would like to see a picture of it, we'd be glad to send you a little brochure that's in four colors and and just sings there. Uh, Send your name and address to Rover. That's what they call me here, Rover. And uh, I got the itch. Uh, that's Rover in care of W-O-R, 1440 Broadway, and we'll be sure that... then by the way, you'll get the itch once you take a look at this thing. Oh, wow, man. All right, now, let's, let us let let us us return. Oh, before we do this, no. Before we do this, we will be at the limelight tomorrow night in full fettle. In fact, I've been having my fettles cleaned all week. For this particular program, we will follow the opera at the limelight, immediately following the big... The big opera, what is it, Aida? Is it Aida? Madame Butterfly, how how fitting to to celebrate <laughs> the year going out with a tearjerker of the first water. And I will follow that and I will tell you the famous story of how my Uncle Carl lost his false teeth ten minutes after the new year came in, and did not find them till the next day. And the denouement where he found them is even funnier, sadder and more tragic. So if you'd like to have a big New Year's Day, let's get it off great. We'll be at the limelight. And and incidentally, we will follow on the air immediately after the opera, but we will be doing a live show before that at the limelight itself. And I'm back to reality. Okay. Would you please give me my low down, knocked out blues? Just lay it in there, man. Because, uh, Uh, There's no question about it. We are all torn by those two conflicting emotions, celebrating a year that's coming in and regretting a year that's going out, a year lost irretrievably. This is Robert Service, writing in the year 1903. My glass is filled. My pipe is lit. My den is all... A cozy glow and snug before the fire I sit and wait to feel the old year go. I dedicate to solemn thought amid my two unthinking days this sober moment, sadly fraught with much of brain, with little praise. Old year, upon the stage of time you stand to bow your last adieu. A moment, and the prompter's chime will ring the curtain down on you. Your mane is sad. Your step is slow. You falter as a sage in pain. Yet, turn, old year. Turn, old year, before you go. And face your audience just once more. Once again. That sphinx-like face... "'Remote, austere, let us all read, whate'er the cost. "'Oh, maiden, why that bitter tear? "'Is it for a dear one you've lost? "'Is it for a fond illusion gone in the last year? "'For trusted lover proved untrue? "'Oh, sweet-faced girl, so sad, so wan, "'what hath the old year meant to you? "'And you, oh neighbor on my right,' so sleek, so so prosperously clad? What see you in that aged white that makes your smile so gay and glad? What opportunity unmissed? What golden gain? (laughs) What pride of place? What splendid hope? Oh, optimist, do you read in that withered face? And you, deep shrinking in the gloom, what finds you in that filmy gaze? What menace of a tragic doom. What dark, condemning yesterdays. What urge to crime. What evil done. What cold, confronting shape of fear. Oh, haggard, haunted, hidden one. What see you in the dying year? And so from face to face I flit. The countless eyes that stare and stare. Some with approbation lit. And some are shadowed with despair. Some show a smile, (laughs) and some a frown, some joy and hope, some pain and woe. Enough. Oh, ring the curtain down, old weary year, it's time to go. My pipe is out, my glass is dry, my fire is almost ashes, too. But once again, before you go, and I prepare to meet the new old year... A parting word that's true. For we've been comrades, you and I. I thank God for each day of you. There, bless you now. Old year, goodbye. It's not bad, is it? That was... That was Robert Service writing in 1903. That's the same guy who wrote The Face on the Barroom Floor. Do you want to hear hear another Robert Service, more in the tradition of Robert Service? Uh, He's he's fine, I'll tell you. When, When it comes to celebrating New Year's, you can't beat service. Bring on a little more of that rotten ragtime music. This is Robert Service, writing of the year 1897. Oh, it's cruel, cold on the waterfront, silent and dark and drear, only the black tide weltering. Only the hissing snow, and I alone like a storm-tossed wreck on this night of the glad new year, shuffling along in the icy wind, ghastly and gaunt and slow. They're playing a tune. You can hear it now. They're playing a tune in McGuffey's saloon. It's cheery and bright in there. God, I'm weak. Since the bitter dawn, never a bite of food. I'll just go over and slip inside. I mustn't give way to despair. (laughs) <laughs> Perhaps I can bum a little booze. The boys are feeling good. They'll jeer at me. They'll sneer at me. They'll call me a whiskey soak. Have a drink. Well, thank you kindly, sir. I don't mind if I do. A driveling, dirty, gin joint fiend. The butt of the barroom joke. Sunken, sodden, and hopeless. Another? <laughs> well, here's to you. Yeah. I see him now. McGuffey is showing a bunch of the boys how Bob Fitzsimmons hit the barman is talking to Tammany Hall and why the ward boss got fired I'll just sneak into a corner they'll let me alone a bit and the room is them round and round god I'm tired I'm tired <laughs> roses she wore on her breast that night Oh, their scent was sweet. Alone we sat on the balcony and the fan palms arched above the witching strain of a waltz by Strauss came up to our cool retreat and I prisoned her little hand in mine and I whispered my plea of love and then sudden, the laughter died on her lips and lowly she bent her head and oh, there came in the deep dark eyes a look that was heaven to see. and the moments went and I waited there and never a word was said and then she plucked from her bosom a rose of red and shyly gave it to me. Then the music swelled to a crash of joy. And the lights blazed up like day. And I held her fast to my throbbing heart. And I kissed her bonnie brow. She's mine. She's mine forevermore. The violins seemed to say. And the bells were ringing the new year in. God, I can hear them now. Don't you remember that long last waltz with its sobbing sad refrain? Don't you remember that last goodbye? And the dear eyes? dim with tears. Don't you remember that golden dream with never a hint of pain of lives that would blend like an angel's song in the bliss of the coming years? <laughs> what have I lost? What have I lost? Oh, forgive. The red, red rose has faded now, and it's 50 years ago. It better to die a thousand deaths than to live each day as I live. I've sinned. I've sunk to the lowest depths, but I've suffered I can hear the bells Look, I can see you there Fair as a dream It fades Now I can I can hear the home of the, of the crowded court Look, the judge is looking down Not guilty, I, I swear The bells, I can hear the bells again Ethel, I come, I come, Ethel, Ethel Get up, old man, it's 12 o'clock You can't sleep here, you know Come on, get up Say, so ain't you got no sentiment? Come on, lift up your muddled head. Have a drink to the new year. Come on. Come on, a drop before you... That darn old dirty... Hey, hey! My God, boys. Look, he's dead. He's dead, boys. That was, uh... Wow. <laughs> wow. He pulls out all the stops, doesn't he? That was, uh... Robert service 1897 now do you want to hear another view how much time do we have we got plenty of time you want to hear a, a, another view of, of New Year's this is this is over this is to me this is one of my favorites this is George aid and this was written in 1899 and this was just before that big new year and as a matter of fact uh, there is talk that aid wrote it to spike the ideas that everybody had at that time that the year 1900 would bring the millennia. This is called The Fable of Successful Tobias and some of his Happy New Years. A a little music, I think just a little touch of that low-down, dragged-out music. That blues. That rotten, raunchy, stinky, hairy blues. Da-da-da-da-dee-dee-dee-dee. Oh, yeah. Once there was a financial heavyweight... The milestones, listen to this beautiful line, once there was a financial heavyweight, the milestones of whose busy life were strung back across the valley of tribulation into the green fields of childhood. Like most of our aristocrats, he got his start out among the cornrows. His youth was spent very happily, but he did not get on to the fact until years later. He used to work 14 hours per for his board and his clothes. And his only dissipation was to take in the Swiss bell ringers once every year. At the close of each year on New Year's, he was permitted to attend a watch meeting at the Mount Zion Church. The watch meeting is a form of gaiety invented a long time ago by someone who was not feeling well at the time. The outfit were supposed to sit for three or four hours on the hard benches meditating on all the low, down, ornery things that they had done during the old year. Some of them had to hurry in order to crowd this line of meditation into a brief four hours. Now and then, a local high guy with throat whiskers would arise and talk for a short time on the subject of death and wonder how many of those present would be taken in by the grim reaper During the next year, just at midnight, the sexton would toll the bell so as to cheer everyone up. And then each of the merrymakers would go home and eat a piece of mince pie and a bellflower apple and retreat to the feathers, feeling a little ashamed for having stayed up so late. Later on, after Tobias moved into town and began to wear store clothes and stand up collars and put oil on his hair, he encountered another kind of New Year's Day. The era was that of the open house. All the women received, and the men went over the entire circuit and traded job-printed cards for something to eat and drink. This made it fine for those who were not ordinarily invited into the best homes. The men roamed about in great flocks, and usually they had a hard finish, for it was customary in those good old days of democratic simplicity for every true gentleman to take a drink when it was proffered by the hand of a lovely woman and lovely women seemed to regard it as her assignment to put all of the nice young fellows to the bad on New Year's. It was customary to mix tea, coffee, sherbet, lemonade, eggnog, artillery punch, fizzerine, and uh, straight goods, until the Happy New Year looked like a scrambled rainbow, and the last caller was sozzled to the ears. Old Tobe used to go out every New Year's Day to meet the good lookers and fuss around with them. For those were his salad days. He made it a combination salad and philandered about a bit, about seven years before he took the big risk and bought a home with a mortgage attachment and finally settled down. And then, the Happy New Year's began to have an entirely new meaning. He drew a red mark around January 1st, for that was the day when he had to make the books balance and take up some big note that was hanging over him like a storm cloud... His usual plan for celebrating the Happy New Year was to sit in his office figuring on how to trim the payroll and sneak up on selling prices and keep out of the sheriff's hands for another 12 months. But as it comes to some men, the time came when Tobias could take out a pencil on December 31st and compute a net profit big enough to fill a furniture van. To all intents and purposes, he had come to the high ground where he could now afford to sit down for a while, high charge, and enjoy the scenery. He certainly possessed all the accessories of a happy new year. He had a bankroll, a house on the boulevard, and a wife who was slowly but surely worming her way into society. He had a son attending a high-priced university in the East and gradually accumulating a phony Oxford accent while his daughter was at a school which used the French novel as its textbook. So, after all these years of struggling, Tobias knew what it was to have a genuinely happy New Year. For when the children came home for the holiday vacation, the busy Mrs. Tobias gave a big dancing party on New Year's Eve to say nothing of a couple of luncheons and a formal dinner. At these glittering functions, the family did what it could. To keep Tobias in the background. For while he was a corker. When it came to doing a fountain pen specialty with a checkbook. He was a frosted turnip. When chucked into a suit costing a hundred dollars. And put down in a Marie Antoinette apartment. With a lot of Chaunceys Who had been educated in the east. He celebrated the glad new year. By standing around in doorways. And looking mournfully at the lightweights. Who were doing the cotillion. And each of them having the time of his life. He saw his wife hobnobbing with a human pickerel whose only excuse for being on earth was that he looked well in evening clothes. Daughter was dancing with a lovely specimen of the night-blooming rounder. And son was out passing cigarettes around. And no one was paying any attention to the provider. So he made a quiet retreat to his own room and had a glass of milk sent up and read the market report And managed to put in a pleasant evening, after all. Seeing the old one out. And the new one in. Do you want to hear the greatest moral of all? Just bring that music in, don't leave it go. The greatest moral of them all. This is George H. Moral to his fable. Moral. One new year is just about as happy as another
1: <laughs> how's that for realism
0: and that came out in 1899 and that was the year that everybody was looking forward to the great fantastic moment when 1900 would come in that would usher in World War I that would usher in World War II that would usher in the Korean War that would usher in the atom bombs would... oh wow man do you want to hear another one now you hear it all right. Uh, all right, I've got another one here. This one, this one, this one is about prophecies, and this is written by another American writer. All these are American writers, and what they've said about about New Year's, about, and of course, one of the big things that, that you you read every every time the New Year comes in. I'm sure there's going to be 25 magazine uh, articles, if not entire magazines, published on the premise of forecasts of 1966 predictions of things to come by all the experts oh man you know <laughs> and this is a big hoopla and wouldn't it be great to be an expert have people call you up oh what do you think of 1966 charlie uh what's it going to look like well uh, the way i see 1966 is uh well not uh, it's going to have uh, it's going to have well over 360 days i i i figure that uh, the sun's going to be coming on a lot I figure also we'll possibly have uh, some rain. Now we may not have, and this is—you uh, can quote me on this. I know it's going to get a lot of people sore. We may not have as much as some people think. But on the other hand, and uh, and you know who I'm talking about, we're going to have a heck of a lot more than a lot of guys think, right? Now uh, uh, there's going to be other things too. There's going to be a lot of guys having fist fights. I predict also. That uh, we're going to have several very hot days. Yes. Yes, put me down for that. Mm Mm-hmm. And I predict that around the end of the year, there will be a little snow. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, thank you very much. Yes. The great generalities that go clattering down through history. And I can already see it's practically in type now. The magazine's predicting how much time do we have? The magazines predicting the t- <laughs> predicting the future. and almost all of them, of course, are filled with that kind of generality. The world is going to be brighter for some in some quarters next year. And uh, we feel uh, that the civil rights fight will continue to make headway. Uh, There will be, of course, a continuing battle against that. (laughs) I could just see it already, you know. I could could see it. Uh, Certain areas of our economy will boom beyond all expectation, while others will sag unaccountably. And (laughs) the great generalities where you're covered from all ends, you know. And then at the end of the year, you can turn back and look. There will be a certain amount of violence. In 1966, however, in certain quarters, violence will be on the downgrade, and people will be more inclined to discuss their problems. So you're covered on both ends. That's known as the is the open-ended cop-out, which uh, is the is the is the main product of prophesiers of one kind or another, whether they look at the crystal balls or whatever it might be. Have you noticed that no matter how many years we we live on this planet? There are people who are always willing and able and delighted to believe a swami. Have you noticed all this hoopla? I hope the next year, if I hope anything else, we'll see no more articles about ladies who foresee the future by looking at the crystal balls in magazines that purport to be serious about anything. on you know, the serious. I, I hope I see. But of course, we will see that. There will be another lady who will be able to tell whether or not the President is going to sign the bill or whether it's going to be the end of the war by looking at the, at, the, at the fur on a caterpillar and she will make her statements and people will take her seriously. All right then give, me, give me a little uh, give me a little rotten lowdown music. This is a guy writing in the 1920s, which was a period of uncommon reality. It was a period, yes it was, it was strangely enough. On the one hand, you know, I think the 20s are fascinating, uh, literarily speaking, because on the one hand, you had this wild, fantastic growth of the, of the Rotarian type Babbitt, uh, the, the, uh, the, the Optimist, uh, the Lions, so all this stuff was really booming in the 20s. And on the other hand, you had a strange undercurrent, maybe perhaps as a, as a kind of, uh, Oh, a counter-irritant to the babbitry that was extant. You had a peculiar kind of reality that you don't really see much today in writing. Uh, And this is an example of it. This was a little poem that appeared in the New York, in one of the New York papers, I believe it was the New York World, in the 1920s, written by Archie the Cockroach, uh, who was uh, uh, a little cockroach who had been a poet in his previous incarnation, and was now a working cockroach in the city room of this newspaper he worked for its boss don marquis and he would come in every night and bang out these little poems on the typewriter mr marquis using his head and because of that he could not he could not uh, use capital letters which put him right in the league with ee e. cummings all right, now would you please bring me a little rotten, low-down music? This is what Archie the Cockroach said a couple of days before New Year's, right in the middle of the wild, exuberant 1920s, when everyone was predicting that just around the corner, there would be a fantastic rainbow, and there would be a moon in everyone's garage. The papers are full of the prophecies of preachers, professors and laymen. ...to the effect that this human civilization is on the way out. And it looks to an insect such as I, Archie, very possible. The only thing I wonder about is why the human species calls it a civilization. Human society has never been as well organized as a hill of ants. That's a fact, boss. Or a hive of bees. And all the ancient sites of civilization are now, and listen to this, boss, in the possession of insects. I repeat, all the ancient sites of civilization, boss, are now in the possession of insects who are far superior in organization and I might also say in their ethical practices. Spiders bite the mummified feet of the pharaohs of Egypt right now, this minute. Mm -hmm. And the kings of Babylon are covered with fleas, which they are, and listen to this, too defunct to feel. Archie the Cockroach. Oh, one thing else, boss, about them prophecies. I wouldn't take them too seriously, boss. That is a message from Archie the Cockroach from the pen of Don Marquis in the middle of the 1920s. I can reiterate that I, I likewise feel oh friends and neighbors fellow denizens of this little pond known as the 20th century don't take them prophecies too serious don't take yourself too serious friend uh, you may live to see another one if you don't but then again there's no guarantee of that either is there Eh? Yeah this other one? What do you think it's going to be like, huh? Is it going to be any different the last one? Is your knee going to get better? Are you going to finally straighten up and lose weight and get a flat stomach and, and write that fantastic uh, epic poem about man's inhumanity to man? Are you going to finally learn how to play the guitar? Huh? Are you going to reach that high road, that plateau? As George Ade put it, the high ground? Where you can sit back on your oars, and look around, and say, uh, this is it, Bill, man. Or is it just going to go dragging along? About the middle of January, you'll already forget that it's a new year. <laughs> that sounds a little more like the correct and true prophecy. I repeat, by the middle of January, you'll look around and forget that it's a new year. Rasma and Oh, New Year's come. At New Year's I say go. But all along, baby, we just keep dragging. Dragging our new dragging our new years behind us. It ain't no end, ain't no turning around, baby. No going back. Ba-ba-ba-ba Oh, I was gonna sleep in the kitchen
1: With my feet in the hall And drink mighty water Mighty water
0: To celebrate the new one coming in So, hail and farewell, 1965 Yes, sirree Good night, sweet Good night, sweet prince 1965's still gone and lost Baba Baba Baba, hooray for 1966 Death Man, all the way. ba ba do 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 ta na. Oh, I seen him come, I seen him go, but this one looks mighty good, mighty good too. Oh me, papa bata. <laughs> Keep your eye on that bouncing ball. Be sure to keep a stock of Neatsfoot oil on hand. You never know when they might smack one out in your direction. you got to have the old glove oiled up. Maybe the Mets will go all the way this year. Who knows? Maybe Joe Pepiton will come through. Who knows? Maybe Shepard will come through this year. Who knows? Maybe you'll come through this year. Who knows? Ah, hail and farewell. Hail and farewell. We will see you tomorrow night at the old limelight. At the old limelight.